This is the Disciple Makers Podcast. The following audio comes from the National Disciple Making Forum by Discipleship.org. The theme was Disciple Maker, and Ken and Vaughn of Downline Ministries hosted a track called Discipling Millennials, Engaging the Next Generation of Church Leadership with the Gospel. Here's the session from Downline Ministries. So before we begin, I just want to kind of hear from you just to get you started this morning. Um, Maybe if a few people want to just tell me just some takeaways you got from last night, from yesterday. Um, Maybe if this is a new thing that you're hearing about or if you're like, man, I can't wait to put this into my church. I can't wait to get involved in disciple making. I would just love to hear from you and I won't give you too much time. So, you know, if you got something to say, I want to. Yes. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. Can't stress that part enough, the importance of relationship. So with that being said, um, it was funny that last night, one of the things I believe Heather said and Daniel said that you've got to listen to millennials. So one way that I kind of prepped for this is I sent out some text messages to some girls that I have discipled in the past, some that I'm discipling now, and I asked them three questions. And you can write these down if you want. Um, The first question I ask is, what is the biggest struggle for you in this season of life? So what's the biggest struggle for you in this season of life? The next question I ask is, what are the reoccurring fears that you have during this season of life? Because, you know, there's some things that just keep coming up. Same fears over and over again. And then the last question I ask them is, would you say that you make more decisions out of faith or out of fear? So I sent this out and I just kind of waited for some responses. And so I got about five people who responded to each question. And I want to read to you what they said. The first one for the biggest struggle, it was keeping a budget, relationships. Another person said growing in relationships with others. Fourth person said decision making. And they said, in addition to that, it's overwhelming. The last one said authentic community. So I'm not a big statistic person, but three out of those five people had something to do with relationships. And so we know that that is a biggest struggle for them. So that's something that they want, but that's also a struggle for them. And it's so funny because you think about our social media kind of culture where you have these false relationships You know, you've got all these Facebook friends, but yet you really don't have any friends. You don't really have any authentic community, people who really know you, people who know when you're struggling, know when you're having a bad day, know how to pray for you, like you're missing that part. Does that make sense? The next question was, um, what are the reoccurring fears during this season of life? First one was failure while trying to walk out my purpose. And basically that they'll fail while they're trying to walk out the purpose that God has for them. Second one was trusting that the Lord will not withhold any good thing from me. And she went on to say that he's got me, that he's there with me in the hard and the lonely. Third one, wasting time in a career and rejection. Fourth was feeling out of place. And again, wasting time thinking I'm doing good, but being far from it. Fifth one was not having purpose and significance. So over and over again, the biggest struggle in that one was, I feel like I might be wasting time. I feel like I might be doing the wrong thing, thinking I'm doing the right thing, but spending all this time and doing the wrong thing. So then when you think about discipleship, what would be something that you would disciple someone in? What would be some lessons you would teach them if you know that that's a reoccurring fear? I want to hear from you guys. What would be something that you would walk them through? If their biggest fear is I'm wasting time. I might be doing something I'm not supposed to be doing. Seeking the kingdom first. Okay. What else? Seeking God's will. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes. And so it's so funny. One thing I remember from um, being on staff at Downline and having about six years of millennials coming through that a lot of the people that I encountered, a lot of their questions was, I want to know what God's will is for my life. And if I'm really honest, I got so tired of hearing that question. (laughs) I was just like, oh, my gosh, (laughs) his will is that, you know, him and you make him known. 
So it doesn't matter what venue you do that, but he wants you to live, to know him and make him known. So the way I used to describe that is you've got this playground. So you got swings here. I am not an artist, so that's not even what a swing looks like, but whatever. And you've got a slide, you know, with the little steps. Here we go. You got a sandbox with, you know, I don't know, some stuff in it. Whatever. So this is the fence. Okay. So this is God's will. So we know that God has some boundaries, right? So he tells us as far as dating, um, you date with a purpose. You don't just date just to date. Um, you don't have sex outside of marriage. You don't drink excessively. You know, we know those things. Thus, if I'm staying within what I know God's word is saying, it doesn't matter what I do inside of here. I could be on the swings. I could be on the slide. Just, just do whatever as long as it's within the boundaries of God's will. Does that make sense? And when I would teach that, they would, there would be a freedom. And I'm all about teaching freedom in Christ, not legalism. I feel like there's enough of that talk. And so we've got to teach freedom in Christ. And freedom in Christ is as long as you're staying within what you know for sure to be God's will, that he wants you to know him and make him known. He wants you to be obedient to him. He doesn't really care what you do as long as whatever you're doing, you're doing it to the glory of God. Now, the problem arises when you step outside and you say, well, I want to do what the world is doing. Then we've got issues. And that's when you see struggles. That's when you see strongholds. That's when you see addictions. All these kind of things are happening because they're doing things outside of God's will. Does that make sense? So that would be something I would share with millennials. Like when they start to ask that question, say, "Okay, let's go back to his basic will, the will he has for everybody. Then from there, you can say, "Okay, God, is there anything specific that you want me to do? But until you tell me that, I'm just going to do what I know you want every believer to do. Every believer is called to make disciples. So give your life to that. And then while you're doing that, maybe God will show you some other things to do. Does that make sense? The other thing from that, um, that reoccurring fear that came up was feeling out of place. Um, and I, I think a lot of times millennials and people in general just try to figure out where they fit. You know, do I fit in this community? Do I fit in this culture? Do I fit here? And in that, I believe that's where community comes in, where you've got friendships who can help you and you've got people in your life who can help you and say, hey, I'm noticing this in you. I see these spiritual gifts in you. This would be a good place for you to use that. Does that make sense? So one of the young women I was discipling, um, one of the things we did in our discipleship group at that time is um, we would go down to the Memphis Union Mission, which is the homeless shelter, and we would um, serve food. And I started to see the compassion she had for homeless people. And she never knew that. And she kept trying to figure out, you know, where should I go? What should I do? And I said, I don't know if you notice this about yourself, but I see you have such a compassion. And you sit and you talk and you give hugs and you're not afraid. I said, that might be what God is leading you to. And then she got into that and it was awesome. It was awesome to see her work in her gifting. But you've got to help them figure out what their gifting is. Does that make sense? Because the world will try to tell them that they should do this or the church will say you should do this. A lot of times for millennials, they think, oh, I should do youth ministry because that's where everybody pushes them. You should be babysitting. You should be with the kids. But that might not be their gifting. Some of them are sitting there like, I hate kids. (laughs) I don't want to be in here with them. I don't want to babysit them. I don't want to babysit your kids. But that's where everybody keeps pushing them. Does that make sense? Or for maybe the young men, it's pushing them into working with the young children, working with the youth ministry. And they're like, but I don't want to do that. That's not what I'm called to do. So helping them figure out what their shape is and not pushing them to something that's not meant for them. The next question was, would you say you make more decisions out of faith or out of fear? First one, fear. Second one, fear. But learning that in faith brings more joy. Third one, fear. Fourth one, fear, starting to change as I focus on Jeremiah 29, 11. She actually gave me a verse. She said, as I'm focusing more on scripture, I'm, I'm seeing that I can make more decisions out of faith. The last one was faith. And she said, the only reason I'm able to do that is because I'm holding on to scripture. So, again, statistically, four out of five said they make more decisions out of fear. 
Fear that if I take this job, I won't have enough money, so I better take a job that makes more money. Fear of if I don't go ahead and date this person, I might be single really long, so let me go ahead and get into this relationship so I'm not single. Fear of I better go ahead and and get this place to live or get this whatever because what if I don't and then I'm left out? Does that make sense? So I'm going to ask you guys now, if you're discipling a young man or a young woman and you see that they are making a lot of decisions out of fear, what would you take them to? Where would you take them to in scripture? How would you disciple them in that? But but one thing we could do, um, and I feel like sometimes we may have done in the church is we just tell them this is what you should do. You got fear. Just do this. And they're like, but that doesn't really help me. And so allowing them to really talk about it, but then combating it with God's word. But you got to hear what their fears are. And and I, I've learned this with um, dealing with the current job that I have as a biblical counselor at a recovery center is that they could these women come in with all these fears. And I could easily say that will never happen. Why are you afraid of that? That's so silly. But I allowed them to just talk about it and then say, OK, now here's some truth to it. Is, do you think that's really going to happen? Do you really think your family's never, ever, ever going to talk to you again? Do you really think you'll never get a job? Do you, because that's what their thoughts are. And it's like, OK, let's just play that out and then let's see what could really happen. Like, let's try to bring it back to reality. Um, so I hope that helps you. Maybe those are three questions you could ask some millennials that you're dealing with to get them to talk so that you kind of know what paths to take them in so that you're not just choosing Bible studies for them, but you're actually choosing things that will actually meet them where they are. Um, all right. So one thing I want to do is I want to define three types of fear. And I'm look at three different passages. The first one is Joshua 1, 9. Next one is Genesis 3.10. Next one is Psalm 111, verse 10. Now, Joshua 1.9. Um, a few years ago, I did a study on just looking at Joshua and his relationship with Moses and how We can see that Moses discipled him and then how we can see how Joshua then poured into this next generation. And so looking at Joshua 1 verse 9, it says, have I not commanded you be strong and courageous. Do not tremble or be dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And I believe that God would not say something to someone unless he was actually speaking to an issue that they had. Does that make sense? So why would God tell Joshua, don't be trembled, don't be dismayed, unless Joshua was trembled and dismayed? Does that make sense? And so here's the thing. So to be trembled or dismayed, when I look this up, it means to um, kind of have what's called a paralyzing fear. And this is kind of that um, fear to move, fear to make a decision, fear to take on something new. Now, it's funny, as you think about Joshua and you think about Moses, I'm sure Joshua had a lot of time to watch Moses, right? Had a lot of time to see how God was working in Moses' life. And now Moses is dead and he's been commissioned to now take over. I'm sure he's thinking, there is no way I can fill those shoes. There is no way these people are going to follow me the way they followed Moses. I mean, they followed Moses out of Egypt with an army behind them, Red Sea in front of them, and now he's gone, and now I'm supposed to take them into a land that they don't know. This is a whole new generation. Their parents, grandparents have all died off. Whole new generation. He's like, "Uh uh-uh, I can't do this. I can't do this. And isn't that how our millennials feel? They come out of college, and the world's like, all right, hurry up and get a job, find a place to live, get married, have kids. And they're just like, I can't do this. I can't do this. And I saw that a lot with the students that we had in downline that they enjoyed that year, but they were afraid that after that year, then it's like, okay, now I got to find a job. My parents, they're okay with me being in downline because I'm in downline and I'm studying about God's word and they know I can't really work a full time job and I'm living with four other people. So it kind of still feels like college and this is okay. But as we got closer to May and they were about to graduate, they were like, oh, my gosh, what am I going to do? Like, I got to find a real job. 
what if these people don't want to live with me? Then I got to find a place to live. And then I have to live on my own. It was just all these fears. And it was like all this just paralyzing fear. But God's word said, do not tremble or be dismayed. And what's the promise that God gives? For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And so that's the promise we give them is I know it seems fearful. I know you feel like you can't make a decision. I know you feel like it's overwhelmed. But trust that God will be with you wherever you go. He's he hasn't he's not just active in downline at that time. He's active outside of downline. He's not just active if you're living in the city with your mom and dad and your brothers and sisters. He's also active if you make a decision to move to a new city away from them. He's still active and he's still there. Does that make sense? Next one, Genesis 3:10. We all know this story. It's Adam and Eve. Um but I would just want us to see this. Uh, Genesis 3, verse 10, it says, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. So this fear is a fear of standing before the Lord because of our sin, a fear of coming to him in repentance because of what we've done. Um, and, and we see this a lot, too. So this would be a fear of approaching God. So one thing I would hear a lot is, um, and this was uh, during a time in downline, you know, we're teaching about the Bible and we're going through a lot of different studies. They're being discipled by somebody during that time. But what I was noticing is I was getting a lot of people reading a lot of books about sin. Okay, and that was good, but I was seeing that they were just like, I'm so sinful. I'm so messed up. And it was like not a not a view of let me go to the Lord and ask him to redeem me. It was more of like this guilt and this shame and this living under this constant oppression. I was like, that's not scripture based. Like, that's not how God wants you to live. You can approach the throne of grace with confidence, knowing that you can find help in your time of need. Like you can go to him in your sin and say, God, I'm struggling. God, I've committed this sin. God, please forgive me. And it's funny that we still do the same things that Adam and Eve did, that we sin and then we hide. And so what you would see is that they would pull away from community. They would pull away from church. They would pull away from. And that was like the telltale sign to me is like, okay, they're in sin. I mean, they're in sin. They're not coming out. They're rumored. They're saying, hey, they're not around. We don't really know what's going on with them. Their disciples like, yeah, she keeps, you know, missing our meetings. Like, okay, it's a sin issue. And so what do we tell them? We say, you know what? You need to approach God because he's he's coming to you. He's pursuing you even in your sin the same way he did Adam and Eve. Like they messed everything up. You really can't do anything worse than what they did. I'm serious. Like all you're doing is you're you're sinning, but they like really messed it up. So and if God and his love pursued them, how much more is he pursuing you? And you have you're already a child of God. Does that make sense? And so helping them to see that that fear of approaching God has no place for a child of God. You need to approach him. You need to acknowledge your sin. You need to come to him and ask for forgiveness and then allow him to redeem your life. This last fear is what I like to call, I guess, the good fear. Um, But this fear is not seen sometimes. Um, It says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding has all those who do his commandments. His praise endures forever. A fear of the Lord. And so this is where, you know, when someone is saying that, you know, I don't know what decisions to make. I'm not quite sure how my life's supposed to play out. I don't know what God's calling me to do. You lead them to have a fear of the Lord, have a reverence for the Lord. Go to the Lord in prayer and say, God, you are my father. And I respect you for the authority that you have in my life. Thus, what do you want me to do? How do you want me to live? What is it that you want to take out of my life? And then do it. Like, don't just have this prayer and sit before him and read scripture and then get up and keep doing what you've been doing. No, go to him in prayer and saying, God, I I need your advice. I need your guidance. I need your wisdom. And then doing what he says to do. But having a healthy fear, a healthy reverence of God that leads you to obedience. Does that make sense? 
Um, but that only comes from having a reverence for the Lord. Is that where that's where you'll see the obedience to the Lord? So, again, I'm not one that's big on like um, behavior modification. Um, I think I grew up in a church that was like that, where it was like, this is what you do. But um, by the grace of God, when um, I was saved at the age of 20, I started to learn about this is what you are. Like you are a Christian. You are redeemed by the blood of the lamb. Thus, this is how you live. So I don't live for his approval. I live from his approval. Does that make sense? And so we teach them that is like you have this fear of the Lord. You have this reverence for the Lord. And from out of that, you obey him. You don't feel like you've got to do these um, these tasks or these um, must haves in your walk with the Lord so that you can get his approval because you already have it. He already has called you his child. He's already given you that benefit to be his. And so now you live out of that. But helping him to realize you've got to have a reverence for the Lord. You've got to trust that he has authority in your life. If he doesn't have authority, then you can kind of do whatever you want to do. And he's just a second option. Does that make sense? And so really discipling them to have a reverence for the Lord. The next one, so defining fear. Now I want to define faith. Just so I like to give some clear definitions so we know what lanes we're running in. Because I could say fear and you could have a totally different view of what I'm talking about. Or I could say faith and you could have a totally different view of what I'm talking about. So I want to make sure we're on the same page. Defining faith. Um, one is looking at Romans ten seventeen, And would someone mind turning there and reading that for me? Okay. So if we know the scripture says that faith only comes by hearing, then what, what do we need to spend the most time doing? Talking. We got to be talking about what God's word says. Because faith comes by hearing. And so I go through the faith stories in the Bible. I go through these people who, um, when they looked at their circumstances, there was no reason to trust God. And I think about Abraham, where it was like he hoped against hope. Like he had this natural thing that was saying, there's no way you're going to have a child. Naturally, there's no way. And then culturally, what? You are totally past the, the time to have a child, but yet... God said, thus, he had faith and he believed God. So you've got to be talking about the faithfulness of God. And this is where sharing your testimony comes in. And this is where you being vulnerable comes in. So one of the fears was setting a budget, right? One of the biggest struggles, setting a budget. So what would it look like for you to bring a millennial over and say, okay, here's my budget. Here's where I spend my money. And being vulnerable and transparent and saying, yep, I spent a little too much money on this. Or saying, you know what, this is where I am financially. Like, I struggle in that area, too. It's not just you. Because a lot of times, I think the younger generation looks at us and they think that they got it all together. Thank you. Hold my little anchor. Thank you. Um, they think we have it all together. They think that, man, they, they know exactly what to do. Their budget is probably just right, and they've got their money all in the right places, and they make all the right decisions. Uh, the furthest thing from the truth So it would be awesome for them to be able to see, you know what, wow, you struggle financially too. Like you don't make wise money decisions either. And then maybe we do a budget together and maybe we hold each other accountable and we become more um, co-laborers in the walk with the Lord rather than teacher-student. Does that make sense? Now, another one I want to read for you is Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, as we're defining faith. I'm sorry, not Hebrews 12, Hebrews 11, 1 and 2. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen, for by it men of old gained approval. Okay? So it's the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So they may not see it right now, but we know that God has made some promises to us, right? Um, One of the promises I hold on to a lot is Romans 8.28. For we know that all things work together for the good, for those who are called by the Lord. Um, And and I hold on to that even though circumstances aren't good. And I'm like, man, this doesn't look good. This doesn't feel good. But his promise says that all things work together for the good. 
of those that love God and are called according to his name. Right. And so I hold on to that. And so with them, I would say, you know what? We may not see it right now, but how can we have faith in what God has promised? Does that make sense? Another passage I think of is um, Mary and how Elizabeth kind of pours into Mary. Um, And it's Luke 145. And I'll read that for you. It says, and blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what had been spoken to her by the Lord. She believed it. And so helping him to realize you believe what God has said. And because you believe what God has said, that kind of um, infuses your action. And so you're not just going off your feelings. You're going off of what's been written. And I feel like hopefully you, you hear the drum that I'm beating that I keep going back to God's word. I keep going back to the promises of God because here, here, here it is. At the end of the day, you're not going to be discipling them forever. Some relationships are only for a season. You may have them in your home or in your life for about a year and then God moves them somewhere else and you don't get a chance to talk to them anymore. You want them to have this to hold on to versus your opinions and your traditions because that stuff is not going to last. But you want them to say, I remember when. I was being discipled by such and such, and they kept taking me to God's word. They taught me how to study God's word. They taught me how to trust in the promises of God's word. So now that I'm in this hardship of my life, whatever it is, I know where I can run to because they may not be able to reach you. So you want them to be able to run to God's word. Does that make sense? So we've defined fear. We've defined faith. And now what I want to do is I want to walk through a little bit of Joshua with you. And just kind of show you how you would help someone go from fear to faith. Okay? So we're going to spend the rest of our time in Joshua. So I kind of made this little acronym. And, of course, it's the name of Joshua because that's just easy. Now, the funny thing is, Joshua's not what we would call a millennial. He's um, over the age of 40. Um, he, but he was there with that first generation, right? So he was part of the first 12 of the spies that went out and went in and said, you know, we could take them. We can. But the rest of the people denied it and said, nope, there's no way we can do that. And by God's grace, he allowed Joshua and Caleb to stay around. So 40 years later... Caleb was about 40 years old when they went out. So 40 years later, he's like 80. But he's got this young group of people that he's got to motivate, that he's got to teach about God's word. He's got to teach about being consecrated. He's got to teach about trusting God. And I feel like that's where we are. We've got this younger group of people that we've got to remind them of the faithfulness of God. That makes sense? Okay, so the first part, um, the J. Join others in ministry with you. One thing um, that I saw with being on staff with Downline and the girls that I discipled, and during that time in my life, I didn't have a lot of extra things. I really just had Downline and church. So I had a lot of time to just take girls with me. So we would go on road trips together. We would go to speaking engagements together. I was like, hey, you can come visit me and my friends and see what our friendship is like. They got a lot of life on lifetime with me. But then I took them out to do ministry with me so they could see this is what it looks like to pour into someone else's life. This is what it looks like to serve. This is what it looks like to not get any accolades, to just do the work. Does that make sense? And so you see that in the life of Joshua and how he did ministry with Moses. And I think it's awesome that Moses took him on and said, hey, come on. I want you to walk with me. I want you to see how God's faithful to me so that when God called him to do it, he, he could go back to well, I saw the faithfulness of God in Moses life. And so you've got to have time with people. You've got to have margins in your day where you allow people to do ministry with you. And, 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 and in essence, this age group where you're saying, hey, I want you to come over to my house. I want you to see how I'm making dinner. I want you to see how I'm relating to my, my husband, my wife. I want you to see how I'm relating to my kids. I want you to come on my job. I want you just doing life with them and allowing them to be in ministry with you is huge. They need to see that. They need to see what it looks like. Everyone's telling them what they need to be, but they've got to see it first. Does that make sense? 
And so we see this in Deuteronomy 9. No, 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 it's not Deuteronomy 9. Hold on. It says, now Joshua, the son of Nun, was filled with the spirit of wisdom, for Moses had laid his hands on him, and the sons of Israel listened to him and did as the Lord had commanded Moses. And so you see this relationship that Joshua and Moses had, that it was a, a close relationship, and Moses was like, I'm laying my hands on you. I'm, I'm giving to you what God has given to me. And then the people saw that, and the people were like, okay, we'll listen to him because of the relationship he had with Moses. Does that make sense? And so what would it look like for you to have a relationship with a millennial and then you step back and say, "Okay, I want them to go ahead and take the lead. And people trust them because they trust you. And so they kind of ride on the um, on your tails. They ride on your reputation because you spent time with them. You've poured into them. You know them. And so people are saying, "Okay, I trust them because they've been with you. But that would mean that we would have to be humble And we would have to say, you know what? I don't want the accolades. I don't want the approval. I want them to have it. I'm going to pour my life into them, and then I'm going to take a step back, and I'm going to go backstage and let them be out there. Does that make sense? Um, So a few times I've had with a young girl, Candace, in my life, where Candace, um, when you meet her, she's very shy, very quiet, very reserved, but has so much wisdom, has so much inside of her, but she just kind of, Holds it all in. Um, and so I got a chance to speak at a conference, and I was like, hey, Candace, you're going to team teach with me. And she was just like, no way. Mm-mm, that's for you. I said, Candace, I see you in Bible study. Like, you study God's word. You know it. We're going to write the lesson together. We're going to do it. You can do it. I believe in you. So we did it. We team taught. And I mean, she was just going. I was like, mm-hmm. All right. So then a few years later, I said, all right, Candace. Um, I'm going on a mission trip to Madagascar. I want you to go with me. And she was like, okay. By then, I had stretched Candace a lot. So she was just new, like, okay, sure, yes. And I was like, oh, in addition, you're going to teach a workshop. And she was like, and I was like, no, not with me. You're going to do it all by yourself in another country with a translator. How you feel about that? She was like, no. <laughs> I was like, come on, you can do it. Y'all, she did amazing, amazing. And it was great to just take the step back and say, you know what? I don't have to have all the workshops to teach. I don't need, no. You know God's word, you teach it. And now to see her teaching Bible studies and doing things with kids, but a lot of that came from in that relationship, in a discipleship relationship saying, I see these things in you. So let me encourage you, let me push you, and then taking the backstage, but knowing that she's able to do that because of relationships she's had with me. Does that make sense? A lot of you guys have some great positions in your church. you got great reputations in your church. If you began to bring people alongside of you, people would trust in them because they trust in you. So use that for a purpose. Use that platform God has given you for a purpose, not just to exalt yourself, but to help somebody else. Does that make sense? But again, you've got to kill pride to be able to do that. The next one, the O, make sure my time, okay. Observe the faithfulness of God in the lives of others. Um, This is where a lot of transparency comes in because they've got to see that you needed God and thus God stepped in and showed himself to be faithful in your life. So whether that is um, you have a sickness and you're trusting God for healing or you're trusting God to give you the grace to make it through it, you're showing them that and you're saying, hey, I want you to see this. I want you to sit alongside of me. I want you to know what I'm going through. So in 2015, when I started getting sick, I had a discipleship group at that time. And so they saw the whole process. They saw me in one times during the, the during like our Bible study, being able to talk and then one moment being like, oh, I can't talk anymore. Like my face is really hurting or, or saying, OK, I need to pause. I need somebody else to finish up the lesson Or saying, hey, y'all, I'm going to a doctor's appointment again. I'm going to this. And to the point where it got really bad. And I was like, I just need y'all to come over and pray. Literally. We're not able to do Bible study today. But I just need y'all to take some time during the day and just come and pray over me. And it was amazing to see how, one, our group grew. But then they saw the faithfulness of God. They saw that, okay, this woman preaches about God. She talks about God. She says she loves God. But now she's at a point where it looks like God is like, 
you know, attacking her or allowing all these things to happen in her life, but yet she's still trusting him. People need to see that. And millennials need to see that. People in general need to see it, but especially the millennials, because they are learning what does it look like to really walk with the Lord wholeheartedly for a long amount of time. Does that make sense? And so they've got to see the faithfulness of God in your life, but you've got to be transparent. You've got to be open. You've got to allow them to see your failures and your successes and the things that you had to trust God for and the things that you saw God come through for. Um, And so when you think about this one, looking at verse 5 of Joshua, Joshua chapter 1, verse 5 says, no man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I have been with Moses, I will be with you. I will not fail you or forsake you. And so Joshua needed to hear that, but God used the memory of what he had done with Moses to encourage Joshua. Does that make sense? He was like, just as I've been with him, I'm going to be with you. And so you can then say, look at how God has been with me. Why would he treat you any different? If you're his child and he loves you, he doesn't love you more than he loves me. He doesn't love me more than he loves you. So if he's been faithful in my life, he's going to be faithful in your life. Does that make sense? All right, next one. The S. Stepping out in faith. Stepping out in faith. Um, Again, they have to see you do it. And there's kind of three parts of this. So trust, we're thinking about a mindset. Um, I'll just give you this passage. You can write it down. It's Psalm 56, verse 3. When I am afraid, I will put my trust in you. So you acknowledge there's times where I get afraid. There's times where I have fear. Yes. But in those times, I'm choosing to trust God. So like a lot of the millennials said that I asked, they make decisions out of fear. Well, what's missing is a trust in God. Right. Because everybody fears. Everybody has fears. But scripture says, when I am afraid, I will put my trust in you. So I will consciously make a decision to say I'm not going to make a decision out of my fear. Rather, I'm going to choose to trust God in this and say, "Okay, God, I am totally afraid to do this right now. I'm not quite sure this is what you're calling me to do. I don't really want to do it, but I'm going to trust that you're leading me. So how do we do that on a smaller scale before we ask for bigger things? Smaller scale is going out and sharing the gospel. Right. So you go out and let's say you're taking someone out who's very timid and they're just like, there's no way I'm going to walk up to a random person and just share the gospel. And we're like, "Okay, yeah, you are. (laughs) And so I just give an example of Candace again, because Candace, if she was here, she would be like, oh, my gosh. Yes. So I remember this one morning um, we finished downline. So it was like Wednesday morning. So downline starts at 545 and it ends at 745 and we would meet right after downline. So I said, you know, today we're going to go to Starbucks. And she was like, "Okay, that's weird because we never go to Starbucks. I was like, and we're going to share the gospel. She was like, just to like random people. I was like, yeah, we're just going to walk up. Just be like, can I tell you about Jesus? Can I give you a track? And she was like, oh, why? (laughs) But we did it. But it was like in that fear. Yes, you're afraid. But. God has told us to tell about his gospel. God has told us to proclaim him to the nations. Well, we got to start doing it. It's not like people are going to come to our doorstep doorstep unless they're like Jehovah Witnesses. Usually when they come, then you just kind of share the gospel with them. But that doesn't happen all the time. So that means we've got to go out. Right. And it doesn't mean that we say, "Okay, I'm only going to go to a place where I think people want to hear the gospel. It's like, no, I'm going anywhere and everywhere. But helping them to see that, yes, you're afraid. However, at this time, we're going to trust God. So you start small and then you keep getting bigger and bigger and more challenges and more challenges until they're getting to a point where they're like, "Okay, I can I'm going to trust God. Even in my biggest fears, I'm going to choose to trust God because you've helped them. You've trained them to be able to do that. Does that make sense? And that's what we have to start in our own lives, where it's like, Lord, help me to trust you in the small things so that I can trust you in the big things. And so if you know that this is the area of your life where you have a hard time, then start saying, okay, God, I want to trust you in some small things first. Like I've got to build this in my life first so that I can be able to help somebody else in it. The next one is believe. And I believe that belief um, precedes behavior. So whatever you believe, that's what you're going to do. Um, For instance, if, if a young woman believes that her money is her money, 
then her behavior is she's going to spend her money on whatever she wants to spend it on. She's going to buy whatever she wants to buy because it's her money because that's what she believes. But if you help her to change that mindset and say, okay, your money is not your own. It belongs to God. Then that changes her behavior. Does that make sense? So you don't deal with behavior modification. You deal with the belief system and then you see the behavior change. So if you got somebody who's struggling with having sex outside of marriage, it's a belief issue. They believe their body's their own. They can do whatever they want to do with it. So you help to, to show them that their belief is messed up, that your body's not your own because you belong to God. It's not your own. Thus, you can't do whatever you want to do. And then you see a change in behavior. Does that make sense? So we start with stepping out in faith. And so it's trust. It's a mindset first. Then it's me believing that this is all true, that there's no falsehood in this. And everything that God has said is true. If I believe that to be true, then my my behavior will change. That makes sense. And that's Hebrews 11, 6. It says, and without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. And so he says, without faith, you can't please me. But if you come to me, you've got to believe that I am who I say I am. And if you believe who I say who I am, then you're going to obey me. And so this is all in like that, um, that chapter of the triumphs of faith. But it's all about their behavior, what they did because of what they believed. Does that make sense? You see the correlation? All right. The last one, remember, goes back to a mindset. So we've got mindset, behavior, mindset. And I believe in a Christian's life. We go through those three all the time. It's like, okay, what's my mindset? Okay, what's my behavior? Okay, what's my mindset? Okay, what's my behavior? Like, that's a constant thing. And if you're starting to see a behavior in your own life that is consistently not lining up with God's word, then you got to go back to what your mindset is because there's something you're believing that's making you think that you can have that behavior. Does that make sense? So we go back to mindset, and we're going to look at Proverbs 3, verse 1. It says, my son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. And then going down to verse 21 to 26, my son, let them not vanish from your sight. Keep sound wisdom and discretion so they will be life to your soul and adornment to your neck. Then you will walk in your way securely and your foot will not stumble. When you lie down, you will not be afraid. When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. Do not be afraid of sudden fear, nor of the onslaught of the wicked when it comes. For the Lord will be your confidence and will keep your foot from getting from being caught. And so it goes back to the mindset, like believing that um, that God's word is true, believing that the wisdom that he gives you from his word, he wants you to actually live it out. Thus, I love how the word says, um, then you will walk. Then you will walk in your way securely and your foot will not stumble. And that is because you're believing that God's word is true and thus you're walking in that. And God is like, if you're walking in this, this true belief that everything I said is true, then your foot's not going to slip. It's not going to stumble. You're not going to find yourself in in this continual sin. You'll find yourself sinning because we all sin. But that practicing of sin, of sin you're not going to see. Because your behavior is coming from your belief and you're believing that God's word is true and what he's told me to do. That's what I'm called to do. So I'm going to do that. Does that make sense? With that said, I'm going to call up a friend real quick. That's you. Come on. All right. So this is Wadzi. And I'm going to tell a little bit about Wadzi. Um, Wadzi is a resident with Fellowship Memphis, um, the church that we attend in Memphis, Tennessee. Wadi is from Zimbabwe, not Zambia, the other Z, Zimbabwe. Um, she's been in the States for, oh God, five years. Feels like it's been longer than that. Okay, she, um, she's in my discipleship group this year, and this year we are studying through James. And so I told her that I was going to bring her up here. Now, when did I tell you that? Yesterday. Yes. As she was driving, I was like, hey, no, actually, I told her through Tiffany because Tiffany was in the car with her. I was like, tell Wadzi that I'm going to have her come up. And Wadzi's like, what? I was like, it's OK. You'll be fine. So now I did send her some questions to answer. But when did I send you those questions? This morning. This morning. So, yeah, keep on the toes. Keep on toes. OK, go ahead. And that's all. OK, thank you. Thank you. 
All right. Um, from hearing that, those who are in the church, those who are pastors, what do you think about what she said? You know, it's like we, we do. We exalt those who have the head knowledge. We exalt those who have written the books. We exalt those who who show that they have all this information. But very rarely do we see those who have said, hey, here's how I've walked it out. Here's what's been my struggle. Here's how I've um, um, how I've lived this thing out with the Lord. Um, so that's I mean, that preaches to us to say, you know what, instead of offering a book, instead of offering a podcast, instead of offering a sermon, offer your life like they can go and do that on their own. I'm like, there's Google. She can Google an answer. If she wanted to, she could Google a scripture. She could put in fear and say, all right, Google, give me 20 verses on that. But she can't Google a person. She can't Google a life. She can't Google a relationship. So that's where we come in and say, let me give you a relationship so you can see how I walk through fear, how I walk through um, hardships, how I walk through a breakup, how I walk through um, not being able to, to get the job I wanted. Does that make sense? And so really showing that, I think, thank you so much, Wazi. That was good, good stuff. And I didn't know what her answer was going to be. So I just, let her, I just let her share. So it was awesome. Next one, humility. Humility is the path to exaltation. And we see in, in Joshua go back that Joshua at no point um, made claims about himself it was always the Lord who put him there it was always him saying let me let me make sure that you know that you need to trust God you need to depend on him and you see this in the last part of Joshua where he could have given like this this um, message about, well, I did this and I did that and I brought you all out of this place and I brought you into this land. But instead, what he does is in chapter 22 and in chapter 23, he goes back to what God has done. Chapter 22, verse five, he says, only be very careful to observe the commandment and the law, which Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you to love the Lord your God and walk in all his ways and keep his commandments and hold fast to him and serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. So he doesn't even say hold fast to the things I taught you. He goes back to hold fast to the law, which Moses told you. So he's constantly in that humble state of it's not about me. I didn't do any of this. All I did is what God called me to do. And so when you think about um, a millennial who is saying, well, I want this position and I want this, teaching them to humble themselves first, like maybe take the lower position first, like build a reputation for yourself first. People don't know you, so you've got to work at it. And I think about my generation and the generation before me, it's like you took the lower places and you allowed people to build you up, to exalt you. You didn't go in saying, this is what I want. I deserve this. I got this degree. I got this experience. It was like, no, let me learn. Does that make sense? Let me learn. Let me build a reputation. Let me get to know you guys. You all get to know me. But, but starting with humility instead of starting with, I want this and I want it right now. Um, it's funny, in Downline, we would have um, one of our pastors, John Bryson from Fellowship Memphis, he would teach the, um, the millennials, the emerging leaders, and he would say, you always want the eight, nines, and tens, but you don't want to do the one, twos, and threes. And I never forgot that. It's like you want, you want to marry this man who loves God and who's living for God and everything, but you're not love God and you're not living for God. Like you're not doing those things, but yet you want that. Or um, I want to be known. I want to teach. I want to do this. But what does your personal Bible study look like? Like, are you reading God's word on your own? Are you studying God's scriptures? Like, are you are you doing your own teaching to yourself from God's word? Or you want just you just want the platform. You just want to be like what you see. Does that make sense? But helping people to realize you start with the one, twos and threes. You be faithful in those things. And then in God's timing, he will exalt you. He will put you in the places he wants you to be. The other thing you see Joshua say in verse 20, in chapter 23, um, verse 6, verse 8, and verse 11, 
says, be very firm then to keep and do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses so that you may not turn aside from it to the right hand or to the left. And I'll, I'll keep reading on to verse 11 so that you will not associate with these nations, these which remain among you or mention the name of their gods or make anyone swear by them or serve them or bow down to them. But you are to cling to the Lord, your God, as you have done to this day. For the Lord has driven out great and strong nations from before you. And as for you, no man has stood before you to this day. One of your men puts a fight to a thousand for the Lord your God is he who fights for you just as he promised you. So take diligent heed to yourselves to love the Lord your God. So he keeps going back to God, like love him, honor him, um, Cling to him, cling to his word. And that's how you'll see success. That's how you'll see growth in your life. But that that calls for humility because pride says, I don't need this. I, I know what to do. I got this. I know what decisions to make. I'm smart. I can do it. But when you're struggling and the person who said that making decisions is overwhelming, it's overwhelming because you're trying to make all the decisions by yourself. It's not overwhelming when I go to God's word and I'm saying, God, I'm only going to make the decision that your word is leading me to make. And so if your word is leading me to not make a decision, then I'm not going to make a decision and I'm not going to feel the pressure from people to make a decision. Does that make sense? And so when people say, well, why aren't you doing this and why are you doing that? Well, I don't feel led to do it yet. And that sounds crazy. It's like, nope, I'm just not ready. I'm not ready to do that. I don't feel God leading me to do that. I'm going to wait until he leads me to do it. I'm going to wait until I've got scripture to stand on to make that decision. So until I have that, I'm not going to make it. And that can be in all areas of your life. That makes sense? Last or second last one. The you uncover sin in your life. Or it will overtake you. So in Joshua, you've got the story of Achan, right? Anybody know that story? So Achan is one who decided in his own mind that he saw some good things and he said, I want that. And even though Joshua said, God said, don't take anything. Get rid of everything. Leave everything there. None of this is for us. God has something much better for us. You got to wait, but don't take any of these things. And what Joshua does is he goes through every tribe. He goes through every family and he finds the sin. And because he has to find it in Achan, it happens that Achan's whole family has to suffer because of his sin. All right. So I'm going to read a little bit of that. Verse 19. Then Joshua said to Achan, my son, you, you see the relationship. My son, I implore you, give glory to the Lord, the God of Israel, and give praise to him and tell me now what you have done. Do not hide it from me. So Achan answered Joshua and said, truly, I have sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel, and this is what I did. And he goes on to tell what he's done, but he has to suffer the consequences for that. So there's a relationship that Joshua has with the people. And he says, my son, what have you done? Tell me what you've done. But he, he lets him know that by confessing, you're giving glory to God. By confessing, you're giving praise to him. By acknowledging what you've done, you're glorifying God. And so in our discipleship relationships, asking them, what is the thing that you're holding on to? What is the sin in your life right now? And telling them you're going to give glory to God if you confess that, if you get that out. If you don't, it is going to overtake you. And it's not just going to affect you. It's going to affect those around you. That's one thing um, I have seen in discipling uh, younger women is that a lot of times they think that sin is just their own sin. It's not going to affect anybody else. But we see in scripture, your sin never just affects you. Um, one thing I would see is girls who were living in houses um, and let's say someone had a drinking issue. It never just affected them. It affected the roommates because they were like, she came home like this or she keeps going out every weekend. She's got a really mean attitude, all these kind of things. And it's going back to, OK, this is her sin issue and she's not wanting to deal with it. Thus, now it's affecting everybody. 
And so in your relationships with them, it's asking them, what are the sins that you're struggling with? Like constantly asking those questions. Is there anything you're holding on to? Any area that you failed in? Any area you're thinking about failing in? And helping them so that they don't. Or helping them to come to the Lord and not be afraid to approach him, but helping them to come to the Lord and ask for forgiveness. That makes sense? The last one that I think is so important Ask the Lord first, not. It's so easy to send a text to a friend and say, what do you think I should do in this situation? Or to um, see what other people have done. It's much harder to say, let me ask the Lord. And so in your discipleship to millennials, before you give an answer, ask them, have you prayed about it? Have you prayed about it? Have you asked God, how long have you been praying about this? What has God been showing you? And then you pray and say, "Okay, let me pray. Let me think what God wants me to share with you. And then hopefully whatever God has been telling them, you would confirm it. Does that make sense? But you want to help them to develop a relationship with God void of you. And the way you do that is you don't always be the answer. You don't always be the advice giver. Like rather you push them to God. And I'll tell you when I didn't do this well. Um, So leaving Chicago, I had a young woman. I had two young women that I was pouring into, but one a little more because I had known her for a long time. And I was thinking, okay, I can continue to disciple her when I move to Memphis. Now, this is before Skype. So we were just going to do like a phone call. Worst thing ever does not work. Um, because I would call her and her little sisters would be screaming in the background. Her mom would be telling her to do something. There was just all this stuff going on. And what I found was that she was calling me all the time, asking me for answers. And what do you think I should do about this? And what does God's word say about that? And this and that. And I was like, oh my gosh, I did not teach her how to, how to get the answers from God on her own. And I hated that. I hated that I did that. And so then I tried to teach her that. And I was like, okay, this is what you need to do. Like, you study God's word. You And I would try to give her some places. Like, okay, look at this passage. Look at this chapter and see what answers you find. But I realized from that that if I don't teach people how to um, feed themselves from God's word, then they'll always be dependent on you. And that is unhealthy. That doesn't line up with God's word. God wants to have a relationship with them. He wants them to ask him first before you. Because you could tell them something wrong. Does that make sense? Or you could be one that affirms what God has said and then it encourages them to say, wow, okay, this this is lining up because God's word has said it. You're affirming the same thing. All right. Now I can make this decision. Does that make sense? Um, Let's see what I got. Um, A few places that I would encourage you to study. Um, if you're looking at fear versus faith, and um, this might be something you want to do first um, in your own personal discipleship time, your own time with the Lord, or do it with someone, looking at um, these few passages. One is 1 Kings chapters 17 through 20, 17 through 19. So 1 Kings chapters 17 through 19. And then next one is 2 Chronicles chapter 20. 2 Chronicles 20. The last one is 2 Kings chapter 6, verses 1 through 18. And there's two questions I would ask when you're reading that. The first one is, what was the key spiritual discipline used when dealing with fear? So what was the key spiritual discipline used when dealing with fear? And the next question is, whose word did these men trust? Whose word did these men trust? The first one, um, chapter 17 through 19. Yep. Yep. So chapter 17, 18, and 19. All right. um, In closing, something I thought about last night, and it was funny, Jamie and I um, were talking about this briefly when I saw him last night, was that um, he made a comment. He said, 
millennials, he, he said, this is Jamie Cody, uh, millennials is not an age, it's a mindset. And I thought about that. I was like, hmm, interesting. And the other thing I thought about is what God's word says, that there's nothing new under the sun, right? Nothing new under the sun. And so Ecclesiastes says that there's nothing new under the sun. So it's not like millennials is some new thing that has never been. This, this, this mindset, this age group, this, um, the way they're doing things, it's all something that's been done before in the past, just a different generation. Right. Um, and then Tiffany and I were talking about this last night. You know, we get on millennials for um, being on social media and being all in the technology and all that. And then it came to our minds. Well, who made that? Who made the cell phones? It wasn't them. It was us. We made it and then we put it in their hands and we said, buy this, because if you buy it, then I make money. So buy it, use it, love it, be consumed with it. And then we have the audacity to be upset with them. For doing it. Right? So I think that that thinking last night made me say, okay, hold on. I need to take a step back. So before we start saying, oh, you guys, you guys, you did this, you do that, we've got to start looking at ourselves and saying, well, our generation, my generation, generations before me were the ones who created these things, and, and we wanted it. And we wanted to make money off of it, so thus we pushed it to them, and now we're upset with them because they have consumed it. Does that make sense? So I think, so, you know, I think some mindsets need to change. Um, I think we need to stop looking at millennials in one light that is not positive and start looking at them in a positive light. Um, and it's funny, I was talking to Wadzi and Aaliyah last night, and I asked them, you know, what did you think about the panel last night? And they said that's the first time they've heard something positive about millennials. That hurts my heart. Because I'm like, they're in the church and we are calling ourselves, discipling them and loving them and teaching them. But yet we don't encourage them. That's something's got to change about that. And so we've got to start looking at ourselves first and saying, you know what? What is it that we have done that has caused this in this generation? Does that make sense? And so really dealing with that and dealing with our own issues and saying, "Okay, God, forgive us for pushing this on them. And so now, Lord, help us to encourage them, help us to build them up instead of tearing them down. Does that make sense? So hopefully that's been encouraging to you. (laughs) I want to leave you with that nugget. Um, I would like for I call Kenan. Kenny, would you come up and just pray for us? Father, thank you so much for um, Ariana. Just thanks, uh, not just for her words this morning, but for her example. Um, that She so boldly and uh, passionately follows you and uh, unashamedly tells people the truth about your goodness, uh, no matter what state they're in and what age group they're in. And just thanks for her influence among the women she's working with across Memphis of all ages at Mariah House. Thanks for... The investment she's making in those like Tiffany and Wadzi and so many others that um, just are like daughters in the faith to her. And we see just a beautiful picture of the multiplication of the gospel that uh, you first modeled and entrusted into us through her. So thanks for her faithfulness. And pray that uh, today her words, just your Holy Spirit would use those to, um, uh, to settle in where they need to. That we may um, meditate on and pray about uh, how we may be more faithful in the Great Commission in our own lives and reaching and discipling millennials. So pray. Um, Towards that in for all of us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, brother.
You've been listening to the Disciple Makers Podcast. That message was from Downline Ministries track called Discipling Millennials, Engaging the Next Generation of Church Leadership with the Gospel. You'll find dozens of other great discipleship resources like this podcast at discipleship.org. May the Lord bless you as you seek to grow as a disciple maker.